If you would keep your Bibles open right there at John 18, or if you didn't open them up, uh, do go ahead and do that. We're going to be looking at the text that Antonio just read for us a second ago, at least starting there. So uh, recently we we got one of those doorbells that has a video on it. You know what I'm talking about? You go and you ring it, and there's like a little video stream that goes to your phone or a device or something in the house. Which are really fascinating little things, and I'm not sure when those uh, first became really popular. It's been a while, obviously. It's the first one we've ever had. Uh, you wonder why why people got those? You ever think about that? Like, what's the difference in that and just a regular doorbell? Well, of course, you're like, well, you can see the person. Well, okay, like, why do I need to see the person before they come in the house? Why does that matter? I'm going to see them in, like, five seconds when I open the door, so why do I want to see it? And, of course, the answer is, what we think is, if we can see a person, and this is real, if we see the person outside the door, um, one, we can identify whether we actually know them or not, but even if someone we don't know, we can probably interpret something about them, about whether we want to let, let them in the house or not, right? So, for instance, if... Uh, they ring the doorbell and you see the little video feed and it's somebody and they're in a brown jumpsuit with a box. You know something about why they've come to your house. They've come to bring some sort of gift or necessity or whatever it may be. If you see somebody in a really uh, thick coat or a rain jacket and they've got a helmet on and they've got a plastic bag in their hand, you know your dinner's here. So that's good, they came to deliver your dinner. Uh, also, if it's somebody who um, has like, I don't know, a ski mask on and a crowbar and they ring the doorbell, you know why they came too. And it's not good. Right? Okay. So uh, whenever people come, it actually matters to us why they came, why they showed up. Uh, I love in the gospel accounts how Jesus tells us about why he came, why he showed up. There's a lot of times where he would do that. Uh, he said in one instance, hey, I came to call sinners to repentance. That's important. Because when we watch how Jesus interacts with people and what he does and what he says and all that stuff, I know why he showed up and why he's doing the stuff he's doing. In another instance, whenever his disciples said, hey, there's some people who want you to perform some miracles, Jesus said, well, I mean, I do perform miracles, but really that's not why I came. I came to preach the good news, and so I've got other places I need to go to do that. Um, whenever people asked Jesus to make them bread and he said, I'm not going to give you more bread, he said, I came to do my Father's will. I didn't come to do your will or even my will. I came to do my Father's will. And in this text that, that Antonio read for us, uh, we see another sort of mission statement or purpose statement, a little, uh, little video clip into Jesus' heart and mind and why he came to earth. Do you see it there in this text? Uh, the, the scene, as, as, uh, as Antonio said, was, is where Jesus is just about to be crucified. And Pilate is really trying to figure out what's going on. He doesn't understand this man, Jesus. He doesn't understand why the Jews are upset with him. He doesn't see anything wrong with him at all. And yet, he doesn't really want these people to stay mad at him, so he wants to get rid of him, but he kind of feels... So he's going through this whole dialogue with Jesus, and it's in the midst of that dialogue that Jesus said these words here in John chapter 18. And in verse 36, he says, I'm not a part of this world. My kingdom is not a part of this world. If it were, all my guys would be fighting for me, but that's not how this thing works. I didn't come to establish a kingdom or to, to overwhelm the kingdom of this world in the way you would think I would. And then Pilate says, oh, so they've been saying you're a king, so you really are. By the way, Pilate would love if Jesus would claim that because if he claims to be a king, then, uh, then that means that he's committing treason against Caesar and then boom, we can give this guy the death penalty and my problems are solved if you're Pilate. Uh, Jesus says, well, you say that. 
You say I'm a king, you know. I'm not getting pinned down for that, exactly. I'm not going down for treason here. I'm going down for the will of God. But in verse 37, he says, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Of all the mission statements Jesus gave, this one is incredibly poignant to me. I mean, this is the last one, as far as I know, uh, as far as we have recorded in Scripture. Before Jesus died, this is the last time he gave that little clip into his heart and his mind as far as why he came. Why are you going through this, Jesus? Why are you allowing yourself to be betrayed? Why are you allowing yourself to be wrongly accused and to eventually be crucified in the most gruesome, horrific, shameful, painful death that humankind had concocted up until that point? Why are you going through all that? And Jesus said, because I've come to testify to the truth. What do you think about truth? And I don't mean if you're uh, sitting here and you're a Bible reader, a Christian, and you're like, well, I think like God's Word is true. I don't mean that. I mean just the concept of truth. It's interesting to me. I think our world and our culture have an interesting relationship with the concept of truth. On the one hand, we kind of don't believe in it. I mean, by the way, those of us who follow Jesus, we do. But I mean, culture at large, we kind of don't believe in truth. Everything's subjective. Everything's up for debate. Everything's up for uh, interpretation. Um, and by the way, we're not the first people that that's been true for. You back, go back and read ancient Greek philosophers, notions of postmodernism, as we call it in our day, they existed thousands of years ago. So it's not a brand new thing, but it's certainly a prevalent idea with us. And of course, that gets sort of furthered by the fact that we don't know who to trust. We don't know who's telling the truth. You watch this news channel and that news channel and read this paper and that paper and talk to this person, listen to that public figure. And I mean... It kind of seems like nobody's telling the truth, and it kind of seems like nobody much cares about the truth. And yet, do you ever notice how important truth is? So think about just in this past year, how many matters of truth, or uh, maybe to be a little bit, uh, use a little different word, what's real or what's reality, have been argued and debated. Questions of social and uh, racial justice. There have been discussions about truth. This is the way it is. No, that's not the way it is. Uh, questions about this virus. It's really deadly. Of course, some people are like, no, it's not at all. And all this kind of stuff. Masks help or masks kill you or whatever. People make these arguments, and the, the way we assert it is that this is right. This is the reality of the situation. This is what's true. Of course, in November, that's how it was. If you vote for this person, this is the way it's got to be. Or you vote for this person, this is what's going to happen. It's truth. It's reality. You see what's weird about that? We crave truth. We crave a need for something real that we can build our lives on. And yet our problem is, is we don't really know where to find it. Or we don't want to really embrace the fact that there is truth out there. Now, we really, there's some things we can't agree on. I, I say everybody. I think everybody agrees on if I climb on top of a tall building and I tell you guys, hey, you know what? I've determined that I think if I just step off the top of this building, I know it's 15 story high, I'm gonna be fine because I've lost a lot of weight this year and I figured out so I've been working out and I think what I can do is I can step off, I'll be able to roll up the bike, it's no problem. And you say, dude, that's not true. That's not true. That's not the reality of the situation. I may think it is, but that's not what it is because you know it's true. We know when meet people say, oh, you know, the world is flat. We're like, no, dude, we've done this. Like, we figured this one out. It's not flat. That is not 
true, right? So it's interesting in, uh, in like the natural scientific realm, at least things that we can observe and experience, we, we're able to say this is true, but then a lot of other things, especially the spiritual things, the eternal things, it's hard for us to embrace that there is a reality, that there is a standard, that there is a truth. Jesus knew that that was hard for us. And I'm not sure all the reasons why it's hard for us, but I know it's hard. Jesus knew that it was hard for us. And he said, I've come to testify, to get on the witness stand and tell you, yes, there is such a thing as truth, and I'll tell you what it is. Actually, Jesus would say in another place, he would do more than tell us what it was. He actually said, I am the truth. I am the truth, John 14, verse 6, and the life and the way. Um, all right, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to look in the Gospel of John, learn some truths about truth. Look then at what Jesus says about how truth is revealed. And then finally see, why can, how, can, how can we be so sure that Jesus is a trustworthy witness to the truth? But this may be a little more relevant for those who don't really believe or aren't sure what they believe about uh, Jesus and stuff. Uh, why, should he, why should he be somebody I listen to about what's true and what's right? Uh, but even for those of us who do believe in Jesus, there's all kinds of voices that pull us in different directions about what Jesus said or what Jesus is or this is true or that's true. We need to be reminded, why is it that Jesus is the truth and he's the one we listen to? All right, truth's about truth. How is that truth revealed? And uh, why is Jesus a trustworthy source for truth? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the introduction to the Gospel of John and the way John tells the good news story of Jesus, uh, he, he speaks about him in this way. John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things came into existence through Him. And apart from Him, nothing has come into existence that has come into existence. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John here begins with a parallel passage, by the way, to the beginning of the Bible story in Genesis chapter 1, speaking about the creation of all things. And what he says is that our reality, the environment we live in, the laws of physics in which we uh, survive, uh, everything that exists in heaven and on earth and human beings and everything else, it all exists through Jesus. Jesus is the one who has defined what's true about our everyday life. All the stuff, the world is round, oxygen is necessary for humans, gravity, all that stuff, that exists because of Jesus. He's the one that brought all of that reality, all of that truth into existence. But John doesn't just stop with uh, talking about Jesus bringing the natural things, uh, uh, defining the natural things and defining what's real and what's true in the natural world that we experience. Skip down the text a little, a little bit to verse uh, 14. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I do. Now this is important because John was a prophet, and actually people thought John was the prophet that God was sending to change the world. And John said, no, 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 I'm not the one, really. I know I'm a big deal. Jesus would say of John the Baptist, there was never a greater man born of women than John. And so John says, though that may be true, what Jesus said, he's greater than me. Whatever truth I may reveal or define as a prophet of God, he has a greater rank than I do. 
Keep on going to the text in verse 16. It says, For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law, that is God's teaching, God's instruction, God's definition of how human beings should conduct themselves and justice and righteousness and worship to God, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, just the revelation of God's nature in the Torah, the law, that came through Moses, the great prophet. I mean, by the way, people in at least the Western world recognize uh, Moses. You'll go to you know uh, courthouses and stuff and you'll see little uh, reliefs of, of Moses Baked in, not baked into, what's the word I'm looking for? Carved into the stone and all that kind of stuff. Because people know this guy said some important stuff. And John here says, yeah, yeah, Moses did say some important stuff. But listen to what he says. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. As great as John was, as great as Moses was, Jesus is the one who revealed these things. And he ups the ante in verse 18 by saying, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father... Jesus, he has explained or revealed God. So besides the natural world being defined and formed and and brought into reality by Jesus, uh, philosophy, ethics, all those things are not defined by prophets like John the Baptist and Moses. They're defined by Jesus. And it's not even those things, not even just the natural world. It's not even philosophy and ethics of how humans should live. But actually, the very nature of God himself is defined and revealed by Jesus. All right, so here's the truth about truth. Jesus himself defines reality. For Jesus to say, I am the truth, that is Jesus to say, I am the one who defines what's real and what's not real. The stuff that's pretend, the stuff that you just imagine, the theories that you have. You come test it out with me, and I'm the one who will let you know what's real and what's not real. Jesus, the truth that Jesus reveals, the truth that Jesus came to testify of through his very death is the definition of reality. Go over to John chapter 3. Let's look at another one. John chapter 3, something else that uh, we learn about truth, reality, as it's revealed and defined by Jesus. John chapter 3, super famous passage here. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the ruler of the Pharisees who came to him by night. And at the end of that, it's unclear whether it was Jesus himself speaking or whether it's John, the narrator, telling us. But he says, you know, Jesus came to reveal the love of God. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and will not perish. A lot of times, unfortunately, we stop at verse 16. But actually, there's some really important stuff that gets said after that including some important things we learn about truth. Pick up in verse 19. It says, this is the judgment, the determination, the definition of reality. But that's what a judgment is. Like when a judge, theoretically at least, what a judge is supposed to do is say, this is what happened, this is what didn't happen, this is what should happen as a consequence of what happened, and boom, we're moving on. That's how judges are supposed to work. This is the judgment. This is the definition of reality that Jesus has brought. That the light, Jesus, has come into the world And people loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You guys know how that is. When you're doing bad stuff, you want to keep it secret. You want to keep it in the dark. Because you bring it into the light, it gets exposed. You get exposed for who you really are. Verse 21. But he who practices, and notice the pivot here, not the one who practices the light, But the one who practices or does the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought 
or worked in God. Here's another truth about truth. Jesus is the one who defines it. All of us will respond to it one way or the other. Maybe this is a duh thing, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge. It's not like Jesus says and does these things and then we kind of have this option. Like I can obey Jesus or I can disobey Jesus and that would be bad. Or I can take door number three. There's no door number three. You either are going to respond properly to the truth or improperly to the truth. Just like if I want to pretend that, hey, oxygen, you know what? I've moved past that. I've been working on these breathing drills. I hold my breath a lot. I can go underwater for as long as I want, breathe it in. I'm like Aquaman. I'm good to go. That doesn't, like, that's not true. There's no door number three with that truth. Your body needs oxygen. If you do not have oxygen, you die. I can't ignore that or, or reject that or pretend like I can get away with that. The same is true here. John makes it really clear. Either you do the deeds of truth or you do the deeds of darkness. Those are your two options. Truth defines uh, not only reality in general, but it defines the end result of our lives, in other words. All of us must respond to the truth, and that will determine the outcome of our lives. Go to John chapter 4. Let's look at another thing that's said about truth as it's revealed in Jesus. In John 4, Jesus met a woman who was a Samaritan, and she was a curious lady. She was someone who was looking for something. She looked for it in romance. She looked for it in uh, religion. She looked for it in all kinds of places. And as she spoke to Jesus, she was asking him a question. And she said, hey, uh, the Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but my people say we're supposed to worship in this other mountain. Who's right? Who's right? Which is great because she actually got this initial concept that there is such a thing as truth. She understood. There's not really options here. Although it does seem like she kind of thought maybe we formulate the truth. You know, maybe it's Jews versus Samaritans, and that's how we figure this thing out. Listen to what Jesus says. What he does is, is answers her question and teaches us something important, essential, about the truth that Jesus came to testify of. John 4, verse 23, beginning, Jesus said, An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, the real worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, well, I know Messiah is coming, and when He comes, He'll tell us everything. And Jesus said, yeah, I am the Messiah. Um, okay, so what do we learn here about truth? Truth is essential to drawing near to God. Truth is essential to draw near to God. In other words, you can't just ignore the stuff Jesus has to say. You can't choose door number three and think somehow, I'm gonna, my life may be hard now and kind of bad now, but you know what? God's going to be cool with me in the end because He kind of knows my heart or whatever and I'll get there. Not according to Jesus. What Jesus came to bear witness of or to testify to is, I'm the truth. I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. The true worshipers, the people who get close to God, are those who will do it in spirit and in truth. Now, I'll say this. Sometimes I think we read the spirit and truth, and I think this is okay. I don't think this is a big deal, but I just think it's worth noting. Some of us say, oh, what this pastor is saying is you got to worship like with all your heart and soul, like your spirit, you know, like just be fired up for God. And get all the details right in truth. Like, make sure you like are really obedient. Look, I think we need to be really obedient. I think we need to be fired up for God. 
But I'm not sure that that's what Jesus is teaching here. Again, think about how John is talking about truth throughout. What he's saying is that this is the real way. In other words, Jesus is saying these are imitation. The Jerusalem thing, the Gerizim thing. Like that's all the ways that you guys are trying to seek God. Those are imitation ways. They're not the real way. They're not the true worship. They're not the truth. They're not the reality of how to get close to God. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, included in that, of course, would be we need to do it God's way and everything. But the idea is that you can't just make up a way to God and think that your imagination is going to poof, end you up there with him and get you close to him. You've got to do it in the real way. And that real way is defined by Jesus. And it's not something that's attained through the flesh. It's not human beings that come up with this. It's in the spirit. We'll come back to more of that later, I think. Um, look at uh, John chapter 5. Uh, some may say, well, Jesus sure is making some big claims here, you know. Uh, he's saying that he is the definition of all things, the natural world, philosophy and ethics, the nature of God. Jesus defines reality. He defines truth, John 1. And we must properly respond to that truth, John chapter 3, or else we're, we're just dead men walking. We're done. And if we don't respond properly to the truth that Jesus presents us, the reality that Jesus defines, then we're never going to be close to God. This seems really, this is big stuff, and this is huge. Jesus is saying this is the biggest stuff. What makes you so trustworthy, Jesus? Like I said, we're going to go ahead and this end, but I want to just tap in right here in John chapter 5. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, actually, it's fine if you're not sure if you trust me. Uh, I've set things up to where you can. John 5 verse 31, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me. And I know the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Uh, here's the point. By the way, the rest of John 5 continues, and we're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to bring out this point here that Jesus highlights. Truth uh, must be confirmed by witnesses. Truth must be confirmed by witnesses. We know this in a legal sense. If you get accused of some crime... You say, hey, where are the witnesses? Where's the evidence, in other words? Now, the, the, the witnesses may not be human beings speaking. It may be a fingerprint. It may be uh, some emails. It may be whatever. Or it may be a person who witnessed. Yeah, I saw him punch that guy, and I saw him steal the stuff and all this thing. Okay, but the point is, truth is has to be confirmed. Otherwise, it's just a possibility. It's just a theory. It's just a claim with no confirmation. Uh, here's the reason why this is important. One, uh, Jesus needs to be confirmed. If we're going to trust him, there needs to be some sort of confirmation. And again, we'll come back to that uh, later on. But really, I wanted to present this because anything else we believe, and this happens, right? Jesus says some things about ethics and morality. Jesus says things about God. Jesus says things about the natural world. Jesus says you need to live this way. And people say, I don't want to respond that way, and I don't think I have to. I, who, who makes Jesus right about, and you start filling in the blanks with all these different issues. And I think, blah, blah, blah. Or I read a book that said yada, yada about whatever it is. Why are those trustworthy sources? Why are those trustworthy sources? Is it just because everybody says so? That's not a very good witness because everybody else doesn't know either. That's the whole point. Is it because I say so? Well, how am I a very good witness? Because haven't your ideas over time changed throughout your life? And don't you expect they might change more? So here's the point. Truth, if, if something is to be true, it has to be confirmed by concrete witnesses. All right, one more. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. One more truth about truth according to Jesus here. Jesus defines reality. 
natural, the natural reality, philosophy and ethics, the nature of God, all that stuff is defined and revealed by Jesus, John 1. Every human being must respond properly to that truth, John chapter 3, in order to be able to draw near to God, John chapter 4, and have a real relationship with God, not an imagined relationship or not one we just make up ourselves. And truth must be something that's confirmed by evidence, by witnesses, John 5. Look at John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. I want you to notice actually the first line. This is so important because I think some of us are like, yeah, 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 we're Christians. We worship God. We just sang the songs. We're into this. Like We know all this stuff. But one, we need to be reminded because look at the group Jesus was talking to in John 8 and verse 31. You see that? John 8 and verse 31 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. These were not people who were like, oh, I don't believe in God, or oh, even Jesus, you're, you're whack. No. These are people who already believed. And listen to what Jesus says and what he calls them to if they want to be able to know the truth and respond to the truth and draw near to God through the truth and all that stuff. If, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Some of this really just reaches back into other things we've looked at so far. Of course, uh, if Jesus is the one who defines reality, then he's the one where we'll discover the truth. And his word is where we'll learn about it. He's even called the word there in John 1. If truth uh, is something we must respond to, then of course we're going to have to follow Jesus. We're going to have to be disciples of Jesus in order to tap into that truth and to understand it and comprehend it and live it out. And in order to get to all that stuff, right? Here's the thing I wanted to know with you here. And this is, all the other stuff maybe seems a little hard for us to hear. Or it's kind of, um, I don't know, just a thing to think or whatever. Look at the promise Jesus makes. About why the truth is so special. And what it means to us. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Freedom from confusion, freedom from hopelessness, freedom most of all from sin in John chapter 8. That's what Jesus would go on to talk about in this little interaction. Freedom from anger and frustration in a world filled with untruth and misinformation and just lies. Freedom from Satan, who works his power through not the truth, things that are opposed to the truth, because he is the father of lies. Jesus promises us freedom. Now, by the way, remember the context of all this talk about truth. What we don't mean is sometimes the mis misinformed way we think about freedom, which is I'm free from literally anything. Like I'm just a, a ray of light bursting across the galaxy with no, no boundaries. Um, that's not what Jesus means. But he means free from all the bad stuff. Uh, free to be able to do the good stuff if we abide in the truth. All right, so there's some truths about truth. That I hope I will see how critical this is. And it, it, by the way, it's, we should have seen that already because Jesus said, I've come and I'm willing to lay my life on the line, to die on the cross, to be a human, all that stuff because of the truth. But if that wasn't enough for you, if the cross of Jesus wasn't enough to tell you that the truth was a big deal, you can see some of these words uh, of the gospel that help us see that. All right, so how do we learn about the truth? How do we tap into it? You know, there's different ways that, that, that people, I think, try to discover truth. We already hinted at them already, but let me just lay out a couple uh, options. One, is, uh, one idea is that truth is socially constructed. The idea is we just keep on getting together and talking. What's true? What's real? What's right? 
and we just keep on working on it. You know? Of course, again, we, we know that doesn't work with the natural sciences and things, but especially with uh, uh, social ethics and things of that nature, religion, we think we can just come together, we can kind of vote on it, or we can see like what's trending the most on Twitter, or we can you know, just kind of, it's socially constructed and developed, and that's what's true. Whatever, in other words, whatever everybody says is true, that's true. Well, come on guys, we know that doesn't work. If so, like every diet fad, some of y'all, we could just probably, everybody could just, we could have a little therapy session. Everybody could talk about diet fads that they've done throughout their life where everybody said this was going to change your life. And after a few months, you have to go to the hospital because, you know, eating like only meat ever never did anything for you, you know, whatever it was. Um, and besides that, we see that in politics, census, all that kind of stuff. In religion, there's all kinds of corruption happening. Whenever we think that truth is socially constructed, whatever we all say, that's what's true. I right, so that doesn't work. Um, another way, though, is people say, no, no, it's not, not what anybody else says, it's what I say. Truth is something that's sort of, it's based on my personal experience or based on my feelings or my intuitions about things. That must be what's true. And so my experiences kind of formulate my view on the world and I kind of have my own personality and my own values and my own, like, all my own stuff and whatever I kind of believe, that's what must be true. So that's where we come up with things like, well, this is what's true about me. You ever hear people talk like that? Or I've discovered my truth, right? All right, now if someone's saying my truth, what they mean is I'm going to just say the true thing that I believe, no problem with the phrase my truth. And what they mean is I think that I can define reality on my own. I can claim and this is my truth. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. For so many reasons. I won't even try to go into it, but I think we know that. Or at least those who pursue that path of life, you end up discovering that eventually. This isn't working. One reason is... I keep on changing. And therefore, my truth that I'm building my life on, it keeps on changing. And so it can't be my feelings or my intuition or my experience that I use to construct truth. So uh, truth can't be socially constructed. It can't be personally derived from my intuitions or my own experiences. But another thing I think sometimes is like, hey, listen, we can't trust everybody, okay? Truth can't be socially constructed. And I can't trust myself. But there are certain like institutional authorities that I can trust in, right? So fill-in-the-blank college, whatever they say about sexuality, that must be true, you know? Or fill-in-the-blank religious organization, body, church, whatever it may be, maybe some guy at the top of that or some you know, famous person who kind of leads this group, that must be how it is to get close to God. There are these authorities. You know, whatever, uh, whatever this governmental body says, that's what must be true about how society, whatever it may be, right? We look at these institutional authorities. But of course, you know the problem with that. Those institutional authorities are deriving their, their claims and their, um, their, their assumptions based on things that are socially constructed from a bunch of people who have their own... Well, so we're back right where we started. We can't... It doesn't work. And yet all these things are where we try to find out what's true, what's real, what's right. What did Jesus say about how the truth would be revealed? Look at John chapter 14. This was just a few hours before the scene that we started with where Jesus is before Pilate. Uh, about to be executed. Jesus is there with his now 11 apostles, the men he had specially chosen. Um, Judas had left their presence. And uh, Jesus, John records several chapters. John, who would have been one of the apostles there, he records uh, four cha five chapters, chapters 13 through 17, of this dialogue that Jesus had with his, his closest, most intimate disciples. And Jesus spoke a lot about truth and what would happen after he died and how their relationship and the world's relationship to truth would, um, would be. 
after that. I want you to listen to what Jesus has to say and listen to the key of how truth is revealed. It's not socially constructed. It's not from personal intuition or experience. And it's not something we can even rely on institutional authorities of the world to impart to us. But Jesus said he's the truth. And if we continue in his word, that we'll know the truth if we take it from the way that he reveals it. Listen to what he has to say. I just want to read a few passages and then start talking about some conclusions here about this before we bring it home. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or strengthener or comforter that he may be with you forever. Jesus says, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be able to tell you the truth forever, but I'm going to send someone who will. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans without direction, without clarity, but I will come to you uh, by the Spirit. Skip down to verse 25. Jesus continues and he says, These things I have spoken to you while I have been with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled. And do not be fearful. Be free from trouble. Be free from fear. Because I'm sending this helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will bring to your remembrance all the things that I've taught you. Look at chapter 15 and verse 26. Chapter 15 and verse 26. When the helper comes, this Spirit of truth, the one who would remind them of all the things that Jesus had said, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. If Jesus is the truth, then we need to have that truth about Jesus revealed. Well, that's what the Spirit would do. He would testify about Jesus. He would reveal the things about Jesus. And you will testify also because you have been with Me from the beginning. And one more, chapter 16, starting in verse 7. John 16 and verse 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth. For it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Okay, the character that Jesus introduces as the master key to understanding and knowing the truth that's found uniquely in Jesus is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, as Jesus refers to him here. Um, remember what we said in John chapter 4, where Jesus said, hey, if you want to get close to God, those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not something of the flesh. It's not something that human beings come up with. It's something that comes directly from God to bring us close to God. The Spirit of God came to unveil and reveal the reality about Jesus, to testify that He really was the Son of God. And to not only do that, but to actually impart information 
to remind them about the things that Jesus had taught and said. And actually, Jesus says here, he will disclose to you. Do you notice the, the verse there in verse, uh, what is it, 13 or 14? Verse 13. How much truth was the Spirit going to bring to these men that Jesus was with? It's not like, well, pretty much all the truth, or most of it, or a little bit of it. Jesus said he will guide you into all truth. All truth. Now, here's the interesting thing. What does this mean? Because this may actually lead us back to the personal thing, personal intuition thing. So what happens is you become a Christian and, uh, and you receive the Spirit of God and then you just, you kind of get like a Bluetooth uplink from God and bam, you just know everything. Bam, 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 bam. You know all the truth. Uh, that's one way that people talk about this. So some people would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Truth is only in Jesus and truth comes from the Spirit of God from Jesus. Uh, but the way we all receive that truth is by direct revelation. God just tells us everything, each individually. Uh, I would kind of like to believe that's true. I think that would be nice. Uh, and I understand why people come to that conclusion. But I'll tell you, I think this very text really speaks against that notion. But here's why. A couple of things. Uh, one is, go back to chapter 14. And in verse uh, 26, what does Jesus say that the Spirit is going to do with them? How does he talk about it? Do you see it there? And by the way, this is to his guys who he's making a really big deal out. You guys have been with me from the beginning. You are with me, all this kind of stuff. By the way, if you read the totality of John 14 through 17, it's really clear that Jesus is having a lot of things to say that are specific to this group of men, the apostles whom he had chosen. And what he says, he says, the Spirit's going to come and remind you of all that I said and bring those things to remembrance. Let me ask you, can the Spirit remind you of things that Jesus told you? There's a sense in which we say, yeah, I've read the Bible, I know the stories about Jesus, and God, I pray for wisdom, and you know, there's moments where God brings those to my memory. Okay, I'm not, I'm not denying that. Like God brings those things to us. When we pray for wisdom, God promises to give it to us. The scriptures teach that we should pray for knowledge and insight. So I'm not contesting that, but I, let me ask the question again. Does the Spirit remind you of things that Jesus told you? And the answer is no. Unless we got any folks that are 2,000 years old who grew up in Palestine. The people to whom Jesus said these things and the people who the Spirit reminded of the things that Jesus said are the people who were there with Him. Does that make sense? The apostles. You know, sometimes we talk about the apostles. People use the word apostle a lot in religious circles. And sometimes it seems like we're like, well, this was like Jesus' A-team and the rest of us are like backup Christians. That's not what it is. The apostles are not super Christians. They're not really all that much more special than any of the rest of us. The only thing that made them special is they were there. They were there. And the Spirit came in a unique way when you read the book of Acts to them. The Spirit in one way comes to all Christians. That's patently obvious. Read through all the New Testament. But there's also a special relationship the Spirit, Jesus promised, would have with the apostles, the people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And the Spirit came to remind them of all these things so that they would then, Jesus said, He will bear witness of me. Uh, look at chapter 15. Sorry, chapter 15, verse 26. He will testify of me. Verse 27, and you will testify also. You who have seen me and heard me and know me, you will bear witness of me. You'll be my witnesses in the world. 
And that's what the apostles did. You know, they didn't come and say, we have an ideology we'd like to impart. Or, you know, Jesus taught us some things and we're, we, we want to propagate that, that uh, philosophy or this religion. All they said was, look, we saw him alive and then we saw him dead and then we saw him alive again. So we're pretty sure he's the Lord in Christ. And by pretty sure, we mean we're going to die for this because it's true. They bore witness of that. And not only that, they bore witness to the fact that the Spirit of God was with them because they would perform miracles. In Acts chapter 5, it talks about how all the people were in awe of the apostles, not because they were great orators or because they were so brilliant or because they were so rich or because of their bodily presence. It was because the miracles that the Spirit of God was working with them to prove that they were telling the truth. And some people say, no, 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 man, that's not, that's not right. Uh, God still has truth to reveal, you know? And so that's why the Spirit is with us and the Spirit's revealing these things. It's not, it's not through the apostles that the truth was revealed. It's an ongoing process that's going on even with us today. Well, I want to take you back to chapter 16 then in verse 13. What did Jesus promise to those men? Again, this was not Jesus promising to the masses. There were times when he talked to the Spirit to the masses. But in this case, he's speaking to the eleven, the apostles, right? Um, how much truth does he say he would give to them in John 16, verse 13? He said all of it. So if I say, you know what? I'm reading John and Ephesians and Romans and Revelation, all that stuff, and this is great stuff. I, the apostles told a lot of truth. But I've got some more truth. Well, one of two things is, there are only two possibilities then. Either... Jesus lied or whatever I think may be being revealed to me in addition to what the apostles received it's not really coming from the spirit of God do you get what I'm saying and I'm not trying like look I, I know this this can be a sensitive topic some people are like dude like, I really believe God put some stuff on my heart I had a dream or I had a whatever so look again I'm not negating that, that God draws us and he urges he does all these kinds of things but what I'm telling you is if there's anything that you believe is a message from God that's something that goes beyond what this book that we have in our possession has. It's not from God. Or else, Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus said, I'm giving all the truth to you guys, my apostles. And so anything that would go past the apostles and prophets whom the apostles confirmed, it's, it would be more truth than all the truth. Which, that doesn't even make sense. You get what I'm saying? Alright, so back to our question. How is the truth about Jesus revealed? It's revealed by the Spirit through the apostles. Now, for our intents, for the original disciples, what that meant is you wanted to sit at the feet of an apostle and hear what he had to say. Or you wanted to meet somebody, like the apostle would send out messengers, go tell this person this, go to this place, and they would send all these people to say, this is what the apostles of Jesus, the witnesses of Jesus said, by the Spirit of God, this is what they taught. Uh, for our intents, we can't meet those individuals. We can't even meet the, the second generation of those individuals or anything like that. But what we do have is the sacred writings. The reason why we talk so much about Bible study and we read the Bible in church and we read the Bible in Bible studies and we're always talking about Bible, 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 it's not because we want to worship the Bible or like, oh, that makes you a better person because you just read the Bible. The reason why we encourage that and why we push each other in that so much, that's the only way we'll know what's real. Without reading this book, the revelation of God's truth by His Spirit through the apostles from Jesus Christ, we won't know what's real. We won't know what's true about God or about me. I won't know what's right about how I should treat my fellow man or about how I should use my body or what my life is all about or where life is going or any of that stuff. The only way we know what's real is through the revelation of Jesus Christ 
through his apostles by his spirit, which we have access to in this book. And can I just tell you, besides saying like just a defense of Bible study, man, what's holding us back? Y'all remember what Caleb said last Sunday, that 1% rule? Man, if this is the thing that defines all reality, how can we only get 1% or not even? You know what I'm saying? I mean, not even think about it. Not even sit down and care about this thing. This is the only way our life will mean anything or that we'll be able to exist. Jesus is the one that brought all things into existence. And if you want your life to mean something, you've got to come to the truth of Jesus Christ and listen to the reality that he has unveiled by his spirit through his apostles. Otherwise, you're living a fake life. Otherwise, you're just imagining that you're living. You're not. Unless you come to Jesus. Now someone says, come on, man. That's good religious propaganda. That's all that is. Because you know there's tons of religious leaders and tons of groups of religious leaders that say they have the truth. And that is correct. That is true. People do say that. But here's the big, 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 humongous, world-changing difference. What Jesus said... It came true. Here's what I mean. There before Pilate, Jesus said, I'm here to testify of the truth. His disciples had all left him. I don't know if they thought all that spirit coming and guiding them stuff was just a dream or, you know, a wish that Jesus had and didn't work. I don't know what they thought, but it didn't seem like they thought Jesus was going to come through for them. And I know Pilate didn't think much of Jesus because he ended up having him crucified. And while he was on that cross, the people mocked him and abused him and spat upon all kinds of horrifying things. You might say, well, that's not a very strong testimony to the truth. And it's not. If the story of Jesus ended at the cross, I mean, we wouldn't have much more reason to trust him than anybody else. But you guys know what happened next. He didn't stay at the cross, he didn't stay in the tomb. Just like he had promised over and over and over again, calling his shot, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to not be dead anymore. I'm going to be raised up. And then he did it. And then whenever his disciples came to him in John chapter 20, verse 22, you know what Jesus did? He breathed on them, it says, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the revelation of the truth. It's happening, guys. All those promises I made, they're real. They're true. You know, whenever it comes to a trial or something, when you have a witness that comes on the stand, you want someone who is trustworthy. Not somebody who's got a, I don't know, their own bad criminal record or somebody who's proven to be a lie. They take a polygraph and it all goes wrong. Whatever it may be that people, I don't know. I only watch movies about legal stuff, so I don't know how it really goes. But you guys know how that, what, what we're talking about. You've got to have witnesses that you can actually count on. Jesus proved himself to be a witness we can count on. Because even death itself, the one question that none of us have ever found an answer for, the one problem that we've never solved, the one reality that really we feel like is the only reality. Isn't that what they say? There's only two things you can count on, death and taxes. And Frank, you don't always have to count on the taxes. You never know. But death, you can. That one reality, Jesus proved himself to be even greater than That one truth that equalizes all human nature, Jesus said, I control that truth. I've come back from the dead. So you should listen to me on all the other stuff. Listen to my truth. My truth is the truth. It'll set you free. It'll bring you to God. It'll bring life into the darkness and death 
of your life if you'll just listen to me. And thanks be to God that Jesus did come and that he came to testify to the truth so that we all could find reality, a real life, a life that matters now and forever.